When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Chris Bates, welcome onto the Australian Finance Podcast today. Kate, so good to be here. How are you doing? I am doing very well, and we have a fun episode planned for listeners today, which is all of those questions that you should be asking your mortgage broker, and if they're not helping you with that, then maybe it's worth asking the question, because I know a lot of our audience are really interested in property, whether they're saving up for their first home, thinking about their next move, or an investment property, and if you don't already know, Chris hosts the Australian property podcast with Amy Lenardi and Pete Wargent. So that's happening every week. So that's another Rask production if you want your property dose more regularly. But today I wanted to specifically talk about mortgages because buying a property is a huge financial decision. You're playing with a lot more money than $5 or $500 that we talk about when it comes to investing for the first time. So you want to be asking the right questions. And Chris, I know one of the questions that we get from our community a lot and we've been hearing a lot on the road is, is it ever too early to talk to a mortgage broker? Look, it definitely isn't, to be honest. I think that, you know, no one really knows what to sort of do unless they know what they need to do, right? And so I would say chatting to a broker and just getting an understanding on how a bank would look at their situation. And you can even forecast it out. We often do this for clients and say, okay, well, 
I haven't got the savings today, but if I did borrow today, how much could I borrow? And I'm going to save really hard. How much money do I need for savings? There's lots of myths around you need a 20% deposit and etc. So, you know, getting a, a rough savings goal of, you know, how big is the shortfall, um, then you've got a target, I guess. And then you can say, well, I need to save X amount between now and then. Maybe family can help. Maybe I've got, I could sell my car. So there's all these sort of things that come off finding that, getting that goal. You start to re reframe your thinking. And then I think you can understand what you can roughly borrow and understand how borrowing capacity works and think, you know what, maybe I should push for that pay rise. Maybe I should, you know, uh, look to do this next year and that new role or would increase my borrowing capacity. Or maybe I could do a guarantor loan. Like I haven't thought about that. How does that actually work? So I don't think it's too early. I do think you just, you know, if you've got uh, $50,000 of credit card debt and um, I think all your focus should be about paying that credit card debt down, right? Maybe the home is a bit optimistic. It's, it's Let's just nail one thing at the moment. But if you're in that sort of savings mindset and you're, you're really starting to put a focus on it, um, then I think absolutely chat to a broker because it could just be a 15-minute chat. It doesn't need to be hours and hours and strategies, et cetera. It could just be enough to give you that, okay, I need 15% deposit um, and I could roughly borrow X, okay, I'm just going to now focus for the next six months on building that deposit um, and at least knowing the things that you shouldn't be doing. So just be careful with credit, um, making sure you're you know, paying all your, um, you know, your credit card on time or your personal loan or you know, your Optus bill and, and just taking care of your credit file and things like that. Yeah, because often we don't know all of the different property home buyer schemes and incentives available and what we should be doing, how much we actually need. We might just be working off those common sort of rules and assumptions or what our parents tell us that they needed. And so having a 15-minute free chat with a mortgage broker, maybe 6 to 12 to 24 months out, could give you a lot of clarity and even help speed up the journey if there's something available to you that you didn't know about. Absolutely. We have, we have clients that we spoke to in 2015 and they might work with us now. We have clients that multiple years down the line, like more than five. I can think of many clients that have spoke to us five years ago, haven't bought, and then they've come back to us. So Absolutely. Just that first sort of getting that clarity, getting that target, understanding a bit more about the market. What's the next best decision for them? Um, absolutely. That's that's a valuable chat that a, a good broker should be able to do. Now, Chris, I know a lot of our community often have questions about finding a mortgage broker, whether it's through word of mouth or finding something on Google or finding something online. Are there any red flags that jump out to you that if you're looking for someone and you don't know anything about them that you would go, okay, that mortgage broker might not be the right fit? Look, I think a lot of people go to brokers so they get a great rate. And so a lot of brokers think that's what customers want is great rates. So they that's their marketing pitch is I can get you a great rate and work with me because I know how to get a great rate. That to me is a little bit of a red flag. I think ultimately a great broker doesn't focus on products and rates straight away. Absolutely in time when you, you're through the purchase or you've figured out that you need to refinance, absolutely rate and product and structure matter. But initially it's about sort of helping you with your decisions. And so if you, you know, speak to a broker and they just keep saying, okay, we should work with X bank and this is what your rate is, but they haven't really unpacked what your life goals are and what your plan is and what type of property you're going to buy and, you know, how's this going to work with you and your family? And, you know, like all those sort of questions first. And I think that's a bit of a, uh, someone who's just looking to sell you something, right? And um, unfortunately the thing with rates is that you get a great weight when you first get the mortgage, but in six months time, 
that might not be the best rate because just the way the bank pricing works. And so um, then you've got to go on, you know, you haven't got really a long-term relationship that you're building here. You've just gone there for rate, well, then you'll leave and just go somewhere else to rate. And you haven't really ever got a partner, someone to give you, you know, trusted advice and to guide you. Yeah, and especially with such a big purchase, you want to find someone that you can ask questions and feel comfortable with because there's a lot of uh, stuff to learn during the the home buying process and how to structure a loan and understanding fixed and variable and when you can get a better rate and all of that sort of stuff. So I think that's that's really important. Just someone you can build a relationship that's going to look after you more than just upfront. They're going to look after you long term, uh, given it's such an expensive purchase. And just someone that can you feel okay asking those questions and that is happy to explain things to you. So Yeah, it's a good point. I want to add something in there. So we we yeah. see it as like um because it is generally a transactional industry, right? The broking industry is we're selling mortgages, right? Um, it's more and more evolving into a trusted advisor profession. We, we're trying to be part of that evolution, right? Coming from financial advice into broking, we think it's got a huge role to play um, in educating people, right? And so a good broker isn't really a, a validator, right? So if you're saying, oh, I just want to do this, and they go, yep, I can do that, and I want to structure it this way, and they're like, yep, we can do that, and that sort of broker is not really being a trusted advisor and is challenging you. It's more just being a facilitator. And so mm-hmm. one of the red flags would be like, are they trying to educate? Are they challenging on your decisions? Are they, even if it's something that, you know, you say something and then they uh, completely spend 10 minutes educating you on a better structure, why an offset account's important. That's a really good sign that this person's going to go the extra mile to make sure you're making a good decision rather than just going ahead with what you want because, um, yeah, that's ultimately what you want. Yeah, I love that one, Chris. So if we have a look at some of those essential questions that you should be thinking about when it comes to a broker, what is one of the the important questions that we should be asking our broker? So I think the deposit question is a really good one. I think a lot of people really save to try to get to a 20% deposit because they think they know that that means they avoid something called lender's mortgage insurance, something called LMI. Um but sometimes paying LMI or lender's mortgage insurance is a good option, right? So it's understanding how that works um, and, you know, what's the right deposit amount for you to be aiming for. Generally, it's like a 10% deposit or a 12% deposit um, reduces your LMI a lot. But then it's also saying, look, am I eligible for any government schemes? And these are always changing, right? So now at the moment, there's 5% deposit schemes even smaller deposit schemes, there's first home, super saver. So there's always schemes out there. And I think just maybe talking through with the broker, based on my income and, you know, being a first home buyer or maybe of, am I eligible for any of these in their knowledge? Um, and that that really figures out what's the right deposit to save for because that's always changing, right? But generally speaking, without a government scheme, it's usually about a 10 or a 12% deposit. We don't really do loans over 90%. Um, we try to get people to that 10% deposit. Um but it's not 20%. It's just a big enough hurdle at 10% plus stamp duty versus trying to save a 20% deposit. Um, That could take many years down the line to save that extra 10%. Um, Whereas if you paid a bit of lenders mortgage insurance, you get into the market, say now versus in 12 months time, you wouldn't be in the market. If the market went up, you wouldn't be worried about that small lenders mortgage, um, you know, insurance costs. So yeah, the deposit's really a a big question. I think a lot of people um, should try to figure out first. Mm. And you can also ask the mortgage broker about what you can do to improve your borrowing capacity as well. Yeah. So once you know the deposit you're aiming for, like understanding what borrowing capacity 
um, is, you know, that's basically what a bank would lend you. And how does that, how does the calculation really work? Like what can you do to increase the amount a bank would lend you and also re reduce the uh, amount a bank would lend you, right? And in the past, banks would lend you a lot of money, right? Back in 2014, it could be eight, nine times your income, you know, back in 2021, or maybe seven times your income comfortably. At the moment, it's probably four to four and a half times your income. So borrowing capacity matters now more than ever because it's so tight, you know, it's just before you'd go to a bank and the bank would say, oh, you could borrow, you know, a million dollars. You go, well, I don't want that. I only want 600,000. Now you say, I want 800,000, but they say, well, we'll only give you 600, right? And so anything that can increase your borrowing capacity, you probably want to understand. And so um, a lot of that's based on your income. So, you know, uh, your base income, potentially your bonus. Some banks would look at bonus, some banks wouldn't, you know, casual income, overtime, Um and uh, it's also then based on any expenses you've got. So, you know, car loans or credit card limits really affect your borrowing capacity, hex debt. Um, so it's just about saying, okay, is there anything I can do to increase my borrowing capacity? Uh, maybe getting rid of car loans or is there anything I shouldn't be, you know, that will reduce my borrowing capacity that I can get rid of? Is that something you would recommend looking at maybe six to 12 months out with a, a mortgage broker from when you want to purchase the property? Absolutely. So we would we can often say to clients, okay, well, you're pushing for this promotion, um, or maybe you're studying, or maybe you're going to go back full time. Um, and so what we can do is forecast what your income may be in 12 months' time, and we can say, well, this is roughly what your borrowing capacity would be. That's that's based on current bank policy, and you know, like we said here before, you know, you could borrow seven times your income in 2021, and you know, four times your income in 2023. So. It's hard to forecast that, but I think borrowing capacity right now ties to it being said. Potentially, if you did it on today's numbers and in 12, 18 months' time, if there were some rate cuts or APRA stepped in and increased, reduced the buffer, maybe your borrowing capacity would be more. But, yeah, absolutely, I think it's a good idea to do it on future income. We often do this when clients buy properties today, but they know that it's never going to be their forever home. A lot of first-time buyers, mm -hmm. and they've got this belief that, I'm just going to buy something now to be in the market. And then when uh, in three or four years' time, I'm going to upgrade to a house that's going to suit us. Um, but I'm going to try to keep this investment property. And we sort of have to sort of bust that belief sometimes to say, well, to do that, your income would have to be X, Y, Z. Is that achievable? Um, and, uh, oh, actually, no, I'm not going to be able to do that. So well, maybe buying this property today is actually going to stop you doing that in a few years' time. Should you potentially not do that today and maybe think about, the next decision, is there any way you could bring that forward um, or change it, you know, like uh, rather than maybe buying something just to feel like you've got a property today, but then in a few years' time we know that you may regret it because you, you know, it stops you doing something else. That's a really interesting discussion to have because personally when I bought my place last year, I wasn't thinking about what my next move would be in five or ten years' time. I was just thinking about my very first move. So, that's, it's, it's an interesting way to flip things on their head and actually go, well, what would I want next? And will what I do now help or hinder that? Yeah, so a lot of people are buying properties a little bit later now as well, right? So it's um, so they're getting potentially to that couple stage and, you know, when uh, they may be meeting partners a little bit later in life as well and maybe the kids are, you know, not too far away. Um, and so we often see, um, you know, singles, for example, um, even though they're in new relationships, um, you know, they, they want to, they've got this savings there and they want to buy an investment property. And we go, well, is it really a good idea when you've potentially, you know, you've got a partner and maybe you want to buy something together and maybe you want to have kids in a few years time. And 
So that investment property sounds great at first. I've got something growing for me, but then the costs of property are so high, you know, 5% to buy in and, a, you know, 3 to 5% to get out and depending on what, you know, maintenance and sunk costs and things like that you have. So, you know, you could potentially go two years down the line. If you have to sell that investment property, has it all been worth it? Has the stress and the risk been worth just getting something when potentially you should have waited to maybe get that clarity in the relationship and try to do something together? Um, uh and so, yeah, we absolutely, um, and often we see clients, um, maybe they are together as a couple and they want to do something together, but they're trying to buy what they want today for their current lifestyle. And even though when you talk to them, yeah, absolutely, we, you know, we want to get married, we want to have kids, but we don't want to do that right now. We want to do that in three years' time. Well, you really should be thinking what's going to suit that next stage of life rather than what you want today. And um, that's sometimes, a, you know, it feels like a big commitment, but it's a big commitment that will pay off if that ends up, being what happens, you know, versus just getting something versus renting today. Um, and then in three years' time, it not being suitable long-term for you. And then you have to sell it and buy something else. It's it's very stressful. Yeah, and that's probably one of the good reasons to have that relationship with a broker because they might push back and go, if you wait two years, you might be able to do something much better or have you thought about what you want longer term rather than just the transaction today? Yeah, absolutely. We're sort of I'm trying to unpack the, you know, the, getting a longer runway with your home. You know, the, the property is very expensive to trade, which I sort of mentioned before. And so you don't really want to try to go in and out of the market as, you know, as, do that as few as time possible. And so ultimately, if you are, it is going to be a stepping stone property, like everyone would love the house. And, you know, but if you are getting um, something to suit, you want to try to get that to suit you for a good runway. Um, and generally that means something a bit bigger. And if it is a bit bigger, that usually means it's a better property as well um, because it suits more people. And so, yeah, we're trying to get, you know, especially for those stepping stone, you know, younger families or younger couples is something that, um, yeah, will actually grow for them. Um, and actually they can live in there for three to seven years. So if they can't afford to do that upgrade, they're not forced to move out in two years time because, you know, it's a one bedroom apartment and, you know, they have had kids and that's just not possible. So, um, yeah, it's really trying to think through like logically how is this property going to get the result you want, whether it's just to build up some more cash for that next move um, or it's also like to give you somewhere to live, you know, through those period, through that period. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I like that. Now, one of the other questions that we talked about asking your mortgage broker is actually asking them what range of lenders and products they have access to. How important do you think that is, Chris? Look, it is important, but it's probably not the most important thing. And the reason I say that is, is you know, there's roughly 19,000 brokers out there and they're licensed through, you know, usually four or five big groups. There's a huge amount of consolidation in the broking world. So, You've got Connective and AFG and Low Market are huge now. They've bought lots of different aggregators. Um, you've got the uh, realestate.com.au. Um, you know, they've got another sort of aggregator, et cetera. So, you know, there's, there, most brokers are licensed through one of these big aggregators, and then you've got these smaller ones. Um, so basically all ac brokers have got access to, you know, I would say 95% of lenders out there, right, because those lenders want to work with brokers. Brokers get about, you know, 
65 to 70% of loans go through them. So it's not a small, it's not like the banks dominate and everyone walks into branches. That was maybe 20 years ago. Now brokers, you know, get two and three loans. And so the banks want to work with brokers. However, there are sort of certain lenders that, um, you know, digital banks, um, online lenders, no frill options um, that brokers don't get access to because their marketing is direct to consumer. So you have to work with them direct. You don't get any advice. You don't get any guidance. You don't know if it's going to get approved the loan. Um, and so brokers generally don't have access to those because they don't pay brokers to introduce customs to them. They market through online channels. Um, and so, but yeah, if you go to a broker and you compare three brokers, 90, like 98% of their lenders would be very identical. Um, for example, HSBC aren't on uh, our panel, but they've just been added to um, AFG, I believe, and they were on uh, Mortgage Choice as well, I think as well. Um, so that, but that's a small lender. They probably only have under 2% market share. Um, so it's the online lenders, the digital banks, brokers don't get access to, and then occasionally some smaller lenders. But you know, all the aggregators and all the brokers get access to similar banks. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah. good to know. Yeah. Um, and so there's, so mostly everyone can access most of the providers so that you're not yeah. really missing out on any option if you go to one broker over another. Yeah. There'd be like a, some small players that might be a couple of building side societies that, you know, just aren't going to get enough volume or demand from the brokers. And so the, the aggregator is not incentivized to add them because they know they might only get, you know, $10 million of loans per year versus they write 500 millions with the big banks, right? So there are those smaller lenders, um, but the choice the brokers have is enormous. Like I think we've got 35, 40 different lenders on our panel, right? So that probably covers 99% of the loans that are written out there are on our panel and pretty much every aggregator has got, you know, big, big panels of lenders. Mm. Okay, yeah. that's good to know. And what about yeah. um, talking to your broker about, timeframes so you get a really good understanding of how long everything's going to take is that that a question we should be asking yeah absolutely so um, sometimes clients come to us and they've already bought which without pre-approval uh, sometimes clients come to us like last week um, or even yesterday uh, we want to buy something on the weekend and we haven't got pre-approval and so you do that's not the great situation to be in because if there is something um, got a client at the moment something popped up on um, his credit file um, it's taken many months for us to fix actually it's it's a, an issue with a you know an old credit card and you know then you have to contact that lender and get it off their credit file so sometimes you know leaving it late it's not a good idea because there's or maybe it's a new job or you know uh, there's something you need to maybe your savings needs to increase so yeah absolutely um, you know, speaking to a broker many months before you want to buy is a good idea, just in case there's any issues. Now, you know, maybe 80, 90% of times there's no issues and you can get finance really fast. But if there is any issues, you might have to solve them first, um, which is happening for a client at the moment. Um, but, you know, and also there's a lot of myths of how long it takes to get pre-approved. And, you know, the media sometimes says, oh, it takes a month or, you know, you spoke to a friend. What well, might have taken a month back then when in 2021 when the market was really hot, you know, and all the banks were really slow and or in COVID when the bank's back office all got shut down. But, you know, at the moment you might be able to get loans approved in a couple of days. So, yeah, it's, it's just, I guess, um, giving yourself enough time to you know, go through that process if the banks aren't busy, are, are busy, which they're not at the moment, but yeah, just being aware of that. Yeah, and a broker should be able to give you a really good estimate on how long each step of the process will take. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just a you know, pre-approval from the moment you speak to a broker to getting pre-approved should be under a couple of weeks, to be honest. Like you shouldn't really have to drag it out much longer than that. Um, if you're looking to refinance a loan, you probably allow 
maybe about two months to three months for the whole thing to finish because um, it's a bit more of a lengthier process with discharges and things like that. But, yeah, it's not, uh, you know, six to 12 months or anything ridiculous. That's good to know. The, ne- the next question that seems fairly relevant to me if I was speaking to a broker now is if they do take, they look at everything, they recommend that maybe you should go with this provider for these reasons, actually asking them, why did you pick that option for me? How does that compare to other options? Yeah, so I think there's a, is a not so much always around rate, right? So it's about the structure, the type of product they recommend as well. So usually there's two types. There's like basic loans and there's more of these package loans. Um, and basic loans can work, you know, because their rates are more introductory. They might be good for two years. They uh, it might be a bit of a no frills option with no offset account. Um, and so if you're borrowing a small amount, that could be a good option. But generally speaking, when you're borrowing, you know, more than a few hundred thousand, these package loans uh, are suitable at the bank. It's just about understanding, are your discounts locked in for the life of the loan? Um, and, uh, you know, how you structure the loan and, you know, why and will that, why did you pick that bank? Is it the credit policy? So, you know, uh, you might have casual income or you might have a bonus paid for one year or you might be on a contract or, you know, you might be looking to borrow at a higher LVR. And so it's there's reasons why the, the broker picks that bank and it could just be their customer service and their experience is really fast right now and we know you're going to get a good experience versus going to mm-hmm. that other bank there. It could take you four weeks to save five basis points and, you know, they're going to ask lots of questions because they're going to look at your situation. They're going to go through all your bank statements and so you're, you're consumer experience isn't going to be great is it worth it for that slightly better rate saving and um or there's a risk of getting a decline loan because we've got haven't got great relationships with bdms or it's a very so there's there's usually lots of reasons i think asking those questions absolutely is a good idea because a broker has got those reasons and um you know well, well you know sometimes they don't give you all those because they're trying to you know there's so much information they're maybe just suggesting this lender um and they can give you that extra knowledge which will give you even more comfort yeah, and especially you mentioned offset accounts. Like, are there any specific account features for loans that we should be asking our mortgage broker about? Look, I really, you know, if it was me, I'd be trying to get loans that have got discounts locked in for the life of the loan um, because what that means is that, you know, it's not an introductory rate. It's not just good for one or two years. It's good for the 30 years that you sign up for, right? And discounts now are bigger than they've ever been, and so... Um, just in the last three months, they've actually reduced discounts, which hasn't happened for some time. And so people getting loans three months ago have got better deals than customers today, right? Because discounts have come down. And so um, so they're, you know, they're going to, re, you know, in 12 months' time looking to refinance, they're going, well, no, I'm actually on a huge discount. And so we never know when discounts could reduce. They have been increasing. So, um, yeah, what you want to do is get a package loan with a discount locked in for the life of the loan. And so just when you are speaking to a broker, just ask if that's the case. Um, and if it is, great. Um, it's not to say that you, you you keep that discount for the life of the loan. In six to 12 months' time, you may say, actually, there's bigger discounts now. Rates have gone because um, what they basically do is they price new customers on bigger discounts and the existing customers on smaller discounts, something called a loyalty tax, which is a huge problem. And so as a consumer and what a broker should also do for you is constantly renegotiate and try to increase your your discount and, and the, the price of your loan. Are there ever fees with loans that we should be aware of too? 
Um, there's not like a big exit penalty. That was sort of pre-2012 where there was these big, you know, fees. If you left uh, your loan in the first three or four years, they would charge you this big early exit fee basically. So they all got banned due to competition. So there's not really huge costs generally. So you do be a bit careful when you're going to non-banks and sort of third-tier lenders, which might charge things called risk fees um, and application fees and valuation fees and things like that. But what most people go through, through the big banks and even, you know, the INGs and Macquarie's and things like that, fees are usually really low. So, you know, there's usually a few hundred dollars to set it up, you know, nothing more than that generally, um, you know, usually three or $400 a year, um, not thousands per year. Um, and then usually about, you know, 500 to 1,000 to leave a bank, including government costs, to be honest. And so um, comparing your fees, it, it sounds great. Okay, so this one's maybe $100 a year cheaper. But if that interest rate is not as good or it's not locked in for the life of the loan or something like that, is that taking that, you know, slight fee saving might not be worth it overall because you're paying a slightly higher interest rate. And so the key thing is, and this is where people get a bit confused with comparison rates. I think comparison rates are done on loans of 150000 um, and, you know, you might be borrowing 500000 And so that comparison rate is pointless to you because you're not borrowing 150000 And so really focus on the actual rate and then, Figure out, you know, based on your loan, how much interest you would pay on that rate based on how much you're borrowing and then add your fees on top. And then you're comparing um, like for like. You're comparing um, your total interest plus total fees and then you can see actually this one's got a slightly, uh, has no package fee, but I'm actually paying a slightly higher interest rate, which overall is actually more expensive. Um, and a good broker will be able to explain that to you. Um, but yeah, be careful with the comparison rates because they're they're based on $150,000 loans, not what you're borrowing. There's so many sort of like hidden tricks, I feel like, um, in the industry. And so just like having some awareness of the, the terminology and the questions to ask is probably very helpful during this process. Yeah, I think it is. I think there's a, a understanding, you know, and there's no, no silly questions, right, especially... Um, all walks of life, we get clients at all different, you know, backgrounds and industries and professions and things like that. And everyone doing it for the first time asks very similar questions um, because there is a lot to know and, you know, understanding the process, it's quite confusing. You know, how does it work when, um, so I get this pre-approved, what do I do when I buy? What do I do? How do I refinance? Like, is there a cost? Like, how does it actually work? Like, some people really want to know the details and um, I'd really ask those questions and a good broker should absolutely want to help you through that because they know it's stressful and i would ask those questions prior to um you know actually purchasing sometimes as well like it gives you that confidence when you're buying that okay i really understand now i've got this pre-approved i really understand what will happen when we buy i know that i'll pay the deposit they'll go back to the banks they'll renegotiate they might look at other lenders then the bank has a much faster processing time because i've purchased and so yeah just talking through that process through with a broker um then you can go, okay, well, now what I need to do is focus on the purchase. I know exactly what I can spend. I know what will happen. I know how sediment will happen. Um, and so I can just put all my brain capacity on trying to find the right property. Yeah. And the final thing to talk to your broker about is things going forward. So once you've made that purchase, how are they going to look after you into the future, such as I know something you do is a regular rate review for all your clients. 
Yeah, so we've got two team members that are constantly just looking at our existing clients and restructuring their loans or making sure that their pricing is the best in market. So um, some banks play ball, make it really easy for us. We've got portals and we can just say, hey, reprice, reprice, or we have to fill in a little form or, you know, some banks make us do, you know, actual sign paperwork, which is a bit archaic. Um, so, but absolutely, I mean, a good broker, there's not really value in a broker churning your loans, right? Like rewriting your loan and going to, you know, switching lenders every two years for two reasons. One, generally you have to pay clawback a broker. If you if you refinance in the first 12 months, they basically have to give back what they got from the bank. In the first two years, it's 50%. Um, but the second thing is it doesn't really grow their business, right? And so great brokers, you know, constantly not trying to just move you from bank to bank. It's just creating a lot of the work um, and, uh, you know, might pay callbacks, but they're not growing their loan book. Um so, you know, you, your good broker will, will make sure that you just stay at that lender, try to negotiate your better rate, that discount, know what is a good rate and have the ability to use that leverage because they can say, well, you're on 6%, you should be paying 5.8. We know how to do the pricing. We can, you know, the way that we lodge it. Um, so, yeah, I'd ask a broker, you know, what do you do ongoing? Have you got a team to help us reprice this? Do I have to do that or are you more proactive? Um um, how does that work? If a broker doesn't really know how to answer those questions, it's a good sign that they haven't really got a process for their existing customers. Um, they're more focused on new customers. And what might work is you get in the door and then six to 12 months time, you haven't heard from them. They know they're mm. not looking after your loan at all. Um, and your loan's slowly getting out of market. And you feel like you need to be managing it rather than you know having confidence that they're looking over this for you. Yeah, that's a really good point because... Most of us have a lot going on in our lives and we don't want to have to remember every 12 months to nudge our broker to say, hey, am I getting a great rate? Is there anything better that you can do for me? And if you are with a broker, there's no harm. It's, it's you know, we've got the luxury, I guess, of, you know, being in business nine years and a bigger team and having, you know, a, a growing business and, you know, to be able to afford people in our team to actually do this because it's really like a managing our existing clients. There's a cost to that. Maybe it's, now, yeah, there's income that we get, but there's a cost to actually for these people that aren't generating new business. They are in 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 fairness as well, because sometimes the pricing comes back poor and we know we need to refinance that client. But um, yeah, if your broker's still starting out and they haven't got that infrastructure, then yeah, and you still want to work with them, they're giving you really good advice. Doesn't mean you should leave, but just be a little bit more ongoing. Just reach out. I know you're really busy, but you know, do you mind if we just relook at your rate and you know put it back to the top of their inbox and there's nothing wrong with that as well. So um, if they're a great person, you've got trust and, you know, you feel like they're adding value, then don't leave them for that. But, yeah, so give them an opportunity to, you know, but they just might not have the, the team to do all these things. It's just a, a luxury we've got. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we've got some great questions here today, Chris, asking your broker about what deposit do I need? Is there any schemes or incentives available to me? Yeah. Would LMI be relevant in my situation uh, what what's my borrowing capacity? And if I look forward 12 months, can I increase it by doing X, Y, and Z or by getting a promotion or by paying off a credit card? Uh, what, yeah. what lenders do you have access to? Though, as you mentioned, most have access to most of the lenders. So that's that's really good to know. Understanding the time frame, asking your broker to really let you know about how long things will take, how far in advance you should be sorting things out. Um, seeing if it's a, a good fit. So once they do propose the loan to you, sort of asking about features, 
fees, anything you need to know about there and why they chose that option. So you just got an understanding. And then also future thinking about how can they help you review the rates? Maybe that's something you want to give them a nudge for and how they can help you with your next move. Yeah, I think that last point is is really key. It's it's thinking through like if I do something today, how would that affect my next decision? So, yeah, my first idea is to buy something for a little apartment, but then I want to upgrade. Like, am I going to be able to do that? A great broker will be able to give you that you know real understanding how that may affect you. And so we all, we do lots of scenario analysis. And or if you've got multiple properties at the moment, like what happens if I sell that one? How does it affect things? Or and so yeah, great brokers. Uh, good at you're doing role playing and scenario analysis in the future, and I'd really do those because it sometimes you realise you might be shooting yourself in the foot. That's great to know. Well, Chris, if people want to get in touch with you, we have a link in the podcast player and your show notes. You're also the host of the Australian Property Podcast every week, so you can catch Chris there, and you also helped create our free property education course for first home buyers, which is available on RASC Education. So that is a very popular free course, lots of downloads. So highly recommend checking that out. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed it, Kate. Thank you so much. No worries. We're all going to have lots more questions to go and ask our broker about now. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, 
Designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.